So we've got to be people who make a, a, a brutally honest declaration that God, I'm coming to you as I am. Knowing your true self, if we don't know our true self, that means we don't know the true God. So what uh, my main idea is today is simply this. You will never know your true self unless you wrestle with the true God. Unless you wrestle with the true God. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning, and we ask, Lord God, that you will use this time for your glory and for the good of your people. Lord, speak to us now. Holy Spirit, draw near. Get our attention, O oh God, and show us what you want us to learn. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that, that's a nice little saying. You'll never know who your true self unless you wrestle with the true God. But how in the world do you wrestle with the true God? I am so glad y'all asked that question today. How do you wrestle with God? Wrestling with God means these five things. We'll go through them this morning. Honestly confronting fear, creating space for solitude, committing past your pain, making a humble confession, and finally receiving God's transformation. And we want to look at those in order today, and we're going to do that by looking at the life of Jacob. So if you have your Bibles or your apps, go to Genesis chapter 32, and we'll be running through some of the verses in this chapter, mainly 22 through 28, but we're going to start at verses 7 and 8. So let's look at this first part, honestly confronting fears. Starting at verse 7, the scripture says, in great fear, and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Drop down to verse 11. He's, saying, he's praying to God, and he says, Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. And then he names his feeling, For I am afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children. In this instance, now, Jacob is now a 90-year-old man. He's been playing games with God. He's seen God He's uh, in different ways. The, you, you remember the ladder that goes up into heaven at Bethel. He's had other experiences of God. But Jacob has been a schemer all of his life. He's always trying to figure out a way around, not not confronting his fear, but here, finally, as a 90-year-old man, Jacob says, I've got to go back. I've got to confront this thing. I don't have a scheme. I don't have another way. God, I'm afraid, help me. Amen? So he gets to that place where he confronts and understands his fear. Listen, if we're going to confront our fears and grow to know God and know ourselves. We have to be dedicated to dealing with our dangerous emotions. Amen? It's easy to deal with happiness, and it's easy to deal with, with our, our positive emotions, but we must become a people dedicated to dealing with dangerous emotions. So what often happens with believers when we don't do that, our buried emotions 
fuel our addictions. Amen? They fuel all kinds of negative behaviors and sins for us. When we bury our difficult emotions, and you may talk to someone that never has a difficult emotion, but I would, I would tell you that in all likelihood, that might be a dangerous person to be around. Because when they lash out, when they bite, and when they strike, I'm not feeling any negative emotions. But they are pushing those down, and it's going to hurt people around them. Buried emotions fuel addictions and sin patterns for people. The American Addiction Center says this, often some of the core feelings that drive and maintain substance use disorder or other addictions are related to what psychologists label as negative affect or negative affectivity. In other words, what they're saying is, when you have a wrong perception of who you are, you'll never live up to your potential. When you're not dealing with who you truly are, made in the image and likeness of God, loved by God, you will allow these negative emotions to take root in your heart in such a way that ultimately you will hurt yourself and you will hurt those around you. So the first question today is simply this. Are you living in the danger of unexplored emotions? We had an exercise today, if you were in our Sunday school hour, where we listed out where am I feeling sad, where am I feeling angry, different emotions that we have to deal with. Are you living in the danger of of unexplored emotions. It's likely you are if you feel constantly driven to things that you know are wrong or are interacting with people in sharp and difficult ways. It's, it's probably true that you're not exploring your emotions enough. Let's look at this next piece here for Jacob and for us. The second part of wrestling with God is creating a space for solitude. Let's read verses 22 through 24. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was alone. Jacob was left alone. I'm going to stop right there for now. If anyone has ever wrestled, you know that apart from WWE and SmackDown and all that stuff, wrestling is a one-on-one -on -one sport. I never wrestled in high school. I always felt that the guys that did wrestle were a little bit crazy, and I was a little bit scared of them because they would be doing anything they could to lose like 10 pounds in five hours, right? These guys are out of their mind. They're, they're crazy. They're wrestlers. Probably have some wrestlers right here. But wrestling of all the sports, wrestling, you are one-on-one -on -one with another person. And when you wrestle, uh, all of your energy goes into that. You're alone there. You may have a coach. You may have a team. You may have spectators. But on that mat, you are alone. If we are going to know ourselves and know God, we have to create a space for solitude where we are alone and alone with God. Let me define solitude for you. Solitude is not just being by yourself. 
but it is taking time alone to focus on your soul in the presence of God. Pastor Tim, at the end of his sermon last week, talked about all kinds of different ways that we can spend time with God. So I'm not going to go through a lot of different things, but here is what all of us need. We need to find a way, find a place to get alone with God and explore what's really going on inside of us. Jacob sends everybody on to the other side. He is now in a place where he is alone with God. Solitude. Silence. Some of us have been starting to do two minutes of silence and you feel like it is three hours long. Silence and solitude are radically countercultural in our day and age. They are the opposite of every vibe that we get from our culture. We live in a day and an age of social media algorithms. Does anyone know what those algorithms are meant to do on social media? They are meant in every way to keep you tied to that app that you're on. They're made in every way to keep you on the phone you're on. I was remember last week driving uh, my wife to school and, and just going by a corner. There were probably 10 or 15 kids there. Every one of them was just their face was right in the phone. But listen, it doesn't have to be young people, does it? If we'll be honest, all of us can get addicted to that. And these algorithms are designed to, to keep you in the midst of that phone, on that app. There was an article in a publication called The Guardian in 2018, and it says this. Listen, social media platforms are using the same techniques as gambling firms to create psychological dependencies and ingrain their products in the lives of users. It says these methods are so effective they can activate similar mechanisms as cocaine in the brain, create psychological cravings, and even invoke phantom calls and notifications where users sense the buzz of a smartphone even when it isn't really there. Has anyone ever felt their smartphone buzz in their pocket and then you realize, I don't even have my smartphone in my pocket? I wish I could just be telling on somebody else, but I'm telling on myself right now. I've felt that. I'm like, oh, gosh, I got a text. I got a call. I got a notification, and I don't even have my phone in my pocket. This is all part of, of the way it's designed. It's designed that every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, when you are awake, you've got something to be attached to. So finding silence and solitude is making a radical commitment to find that time to look at your soul with God. You will, not, you will not know God well or yourself well if you don't learn how to tap out from the world. There's times where there's so much stimulation and so much going on, you need to find a way to tap out and get alone. Get alone with God. Find that place where you're alone with God. I remember years ago, 
I was going through a crisis. Our family was going through a crisis, and I was an emotional wreck. At that time, I was working at a social service agency, and I was leading a group of people, and I just remember going into work just on the verge of tears, could not even hold my emotions in, and at times I would go over that verge, and I would just be at work. I'm a leader. I am the one who's going to lead this organization, and I am just emotionally gone. Brothers and sisters, in that time, I learned I need to get away. I need solitude. I need silence. I've tried it a million different ways. I need to get with God. Are you convinced that God has the answer to your issues? When you're convinced of that, you'll find time to get away with him. Let's look at the third piece here. Persevering past your pain. Verses 24 through 26 in the text. Scripture says, and so Jacob was alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Jacob is in a wrestling match, we find out later in the text, with God. God takes on a human form as he does at different points throughout the scripture, and he engages Jacob in this all-night-long wrestling match. Now, if you've ever wrestled in high school or college or even intramural wrestling, if you've ever wrestled, you know that, that wrestling, their periods are two minutes or three minutes at a time. You have three periods. So at the max, you're on the mat for six to nine minutes if the match goes the whole way. And by the end of that six minutes or by the end of that nine minutes, your body is totally spent. You have put out all of your energy on that mat in that six to nine minute period. If you're wrestling someone who is at your level or above. It takes every piece of your energy, every muscle, everything that you have to work and to fight and to wrestle with that other person. Jacob wasn't in it for six minutes. He wasn't in it for nine minutes. He was probably in it for 10 to 12 hours. Wrestling with someone who was probably a little stronger than him, wouldn't you think? God himself is the one who is grappling with Jacob. He's fighting with Jacob, but God holds back so that Jacob can pour out all of his strength and come to a point where he has absolutely no strength anymore. And then he touches his, the socket of his hip and wrenches it from his thigh. Jacob is now in excruciating pain. If we are going to walk with God and know him and know ourselves, it means that you have to persevere beyond your pain. In exercise stuff and other things, they say, no pain, no gain. So it is in your relationship with God. 
We want to think that this is some kind of easy thing. No, if you're going to grow in God, you need to persevere past your pain. Does your desire for God's blessing surpass your desire for comfort and ease? That is a question we have to ask ourselves. I've said this before in this place, but it is very true that comfort and ease are the idols of our age. We want life easy, but if you're going to walk with God, you've got to get past that idol and engage God because God's engagement, brothers and sisters, is meant to break you. Does anyone know that the engagement of God in your life is designed in a special way just for you because you are so special to God that he wants to break you? Can somebody say amen? Has anyone here been under in in that wrestling match with God and felt the breaking that God does in your life? God breaks us. Now we're going to talk about what he does on the other side of that in a little bit, but you've got to know that God is is at work to break us of self-dependence. He's at work to break us of idolatry. He is at work to break us of looking to others to solve all of our problems. He is at work to bring us to the point that he brought Jacob at 90 years old to say, God, you and you alone are the answer to my problem. I need you, desperately I need you. A.W. Tozer, great pastor and writer of the last century, said it this way, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man, and I would say, or a woman, greatly until he has hurt him deeply. You won't be greatly used by God, you just won't, unless you've come to that point where all of your resources no longer work and you become a person who has to depend on the living God. Let's look at the fourth thing here, making a humble confession. Verse 27. Verse 27, the scripture says it this way. The man asked him, the man we know is God, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Very simple verse, and most of you know The story here, Jacob's name means liar. It means deceiver. It means supplanter. But Jacob, 20 years earlier, had had his own father ask him his name twice when he was stealing the deathbed blessing uh, of his brother Esau. And his father said, are you really Esau? Yes. He answers, I'm Esau. And the father hears the voice. That does not sound like Esau. Esau is a great big old hairy man. He's the man you think you'd see on the wrestling, on the wrestling mat. He's a big dude. He's a rough dude. He's a tough dude. And Jacob is kind of, according to the Bible, a bit of a mama's boy. Jacob is hanging with mama. Esau's out there hunting game. Jacob is this other man. So their voices don't sound the same. So Jacob says, I'm Esau. (laughs) And dad says, you sure you're Esau? You don't sound like Esau. Come come close to me. And and mama had put some skins on him so that he would feel like Esau. He feels them. He still doesn't believe it after a while. And and after he eats and has something to drink, uh, he says, "Come, come to me one more time. 
and he smells him. And he had put on Esau's clothes and he gives him the blessing. Jacob, his whole life, was about pretending. It was about scheming. It was about getting over. But now he is in this wrestling match with the living God. And he's asked his name once again. And he says, I'm everything you thought I was. I'm a liar. I'm a deceiver. I've spent my whole life scheming and I'm done with it now. Here's the thing. That was Jacob's confession at 90 years old. I want to say it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. You can make that confession. But will you admit your own and I'm making up a word here, your own Jacobicity. We need to admit our own Jacobicity. We all have Jacob-like qualities in our lives, ways that we run from God, ways that we run from problems, ways that we run from others, and ways ultimately that we run from ourselves. We won't know our true self unless we admit to those issues. Listen, Jacob had to be broken of his self-dependency before he could really walk in God-dependency. Amen? The great English preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones was asked, what does a person look like who's truly met God? And Lloyd-Jones says he walks with a limp. People who have met God are people that walk through life with a limp, not necessarily physically, but they walk not in self-dependence, but on dependence on God himself. Listen, when you come face to face with God, you come face to face with your glaring deficiencies. And then you're called to make a choice. Will you live out of, will you live in the liberating but pride-crippling truth of your neediness? Or will you press on in your own pride? The self-assured person walks in pride and is ultimately doomed to fail. I want you to see this, put this on the board. If you've never been overwhelmed by your own smallness, You've never been overwhelmed by your own weakness and by your own neediness. Then I can say this for sure. You have never embraced the true God and you don't know your true self. When you see and spend time in the presence of the great and mighty one, you see just how small, just how weak, just how needy you are. And God calls us into that place, but not simply to put us down, but to embrace the one who is able to keep you from falling, to keep you from stumbling. So the limp that we walk with in our lives is not so much a physical thing, but it is everything about the attitude and the heart of a believer who says, I will depend upon my God. It's learning to depend on him. Last point here today, receiving God's transforming word. Look at verse 28. Verse 28, the scripture says it this way. Then the man said, again, that's God, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans 
and have overcome. In his brokenness, in his confession, in his humiliation, he receives from God what is only God's right to give. He receives a transforming word from the living God. Brokenness and honest confession before God, if you're a willing participant in that, God will always lead you to transformation. God doesn't break anyone simply to look at them in their brokenness. God breaks you that he might use you. God breaks you that he might live in you. God breaks you so that your character might more reflect his character. God is doing that work And at its deepest level, transformation is actually remembering. Remember who you are. Yesterday was at the homegoing of Brother Thomas Mathai. Many of you here know Thomas. I haven't known him that long. I've known him for a year. He's been a part of New Life Church for over 20 years. Thomas was here last Sunday, worshiping the Lord, feeling fine. The Saturday before that, he was out feeding the homeless. And on Sunday night, around 1030, on Sunday night, he went home to be with the Lord. Heard all these stories about Thomas over the last few days. Thomas, if you knew him, He had a way of making you feel special just to be in his presence. Thomas, I would see him, I would come in, and he'd look at me and have this smile, and he'd scrunch his shoulders, he'd give me two thumbs up, and I'd feel like, I'm special, man. I don't know if anybody at New Life likes me, but Thomas sure does. I'm going to be good. Thomas has got me. But the sad thing I heard, they had a, 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 on Friday night, they had basically a a three-hour Uh, wake and people got up and talked about Thomas and what I found out was I wasn't as special as I thought I was he made everybody feel that way but I love when you have a remembering of someone's life and somebody is going to be honest about things everything wasn't perfect and his kids and others said Thomas wasn't always this way. He wasn't a perfect man. And just hearing the testimony of his life, Thomas moved to Philadelphia from India when he was 36 years old. He didn't know the Lord. He grew up in a Christian home. He he may have been able to articulate some things of the faith, but he didn't know Jesus. At 36 years old, he went to Deliverance Evangelistic Church on Broad Street, and under the pastoring and the teaching of Pastor Benjamin Smith, he was confronted with the living God. He gave his life to Christ, and everything changed. And the word that we heard over and over and over again about Thomas was that he loved the Word of God. He loved Christian biography and other things, but he loved reading his Bible. Someone said sometimes he'd be gone for three, four hours. He would just be reading his Bible. Brothers and sisters, we often wonder 
Why isn't my life changing? Why am I struggling so much? Your life is changed by receiving the transforming word of God, and it's right here for you. It's right here. Brothers and sisters, if you can read, you need to read this book. If you can't, you can listen to it on audio. Amen? We need to be people of the book. You do not forget to eat for a week. I guarantee it. You don't forget to eat for a day, but sometimes we're long stretches without really being in the Word of God. We must receive God's transforming Word. He breaks us down to build us up, and he builds us up through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit that works with that word. Let me close with this, Galatians 2.20. Scripture says these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The scripture is clear here. Paul is saying, I know who I am. The life that I'm living, it doesn't belong to me. It's not just from me, but Christ lives in me. Even as Mufasa is saying to Simba, remember who you are, so God is saying to you and I, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And it is God who lives in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Brothers and sisters, we need to honestly face our brokenness in the sight of a holy and good God and receive the transforming word from that same God that will make us brand new and able to glorify him in all our lives. Amen. Let me pray as we close our service today. We're going to worship the Lord.